0: (coughs) This morning we come to the fourth part in a series that we've been following here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. But if you're here this morning as a a one-off, please don't worry, I, I think you'll be able to follow everything that I'm saying all right, it'll stand on its own. We've been following a series called Christianity Explored, where we've been thinking about the basics of Christian faith and why that might be important for each one of us to have a grasp of uh, and to consider our response to. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. And I think this question will will go a long way to asking you to, to think about what your understanding of Christian faith really is. I don't mean to be morbid, but the question is this. If you died tonight, And you were standing before God in heaven, and He asked you the question, why should I welcome you into heaven? On what grounds should I do that? What would your answer be? Why should God welcome you into heaven? I want you to think about that for a second, because unless you have a unless you take a few, just a a moment to think about that, you're, you're really glossing over a very important question. Why should God welcome you into heaven? I want you to hold your answer in your mind for a moment once you have it. According to the Bible, answers to that question fall neatly into one of two categories, the right answer or wrong answers. Let's begin this morning by thinking for a moment about a couple of the wrong answers. The wrong answers to that question are any answers that place confidence in who I am or what I've done. If the answer that you're holding in your head this morning begins, God, you should let me into heaven because I... Then I'm sorry, you've got the wrong answer. Maybe maybe you're somebody who's done a lot of good things. And you'd say, let me in, God, because I'm pretty good. On the whole, I'm a good person. I don't steal. I don't lie. Well, at least not unless I really have to. I give to charity, I pay my taxes, I don't jump the queue. I've never killed anyone. There are loads and loads of people worse than me, God. Other people seem to like having me around, so surely you will as well. If that or something like it is your answer, I'm sorry, that's the wrong answer. There's another answer, another wrong answer, and it's the religious one. You might be relying on your religious habits to make you right with God and to get you into heaven. You'd say, God, you should let me in because I'm a member of the church. Not only that, I'm a member of the Presbyterian church. I was baptized as a child. I take communion. I sing in the choir or I'm on committee or I'm an elder. Lord, surely these things, are the things that qualify a person from heaven for heaven. I even read my Bible and pray sometimes, and there aren't many people you can say that about in this day and age. If you've thought something like that, again, categorically, I can say, that is the wrong answer. Time and time again, Jesus told people, that religious practice is not the thing that makes us right with God. If you're putting your confidence in religious practice, if you're putting your confidence in attendance at church, if you're putting your confidence in being here this morning, please don't. Because those are not the things that will make you right with God and will allow God to welcome you into heaven. Let me explain why these kind of answers are the wrong answers. If you were here three weeks ago, you'll remember that Jesus said that the real problem with human beings is deep within them. It's in their hearts. Jesus says that our hearts are corrupt. Our deepest problem is that our whole lives are oriented away from God. God made us and He loves us and He made Him made us to enjoy Him and to enjoy His love, and yet we live our lives heading in a totally different direction. If we start talking about the good things that I do, or my religious practice, it's basically basically like sticking little tiny plasters over a massive gaping wound. These things don't go to the heart of who we really are. It's what we really are that sets us against God. Do you remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7? He said that we always will be, no matter what things we do, we always will be fountains of evil. Here's what he said. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's and women's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, greed, Malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a person unclean. That, that sounds so grim. And yet that's what Jesus says is the, the bottom line state that each one of us is in. Well, we might say there are some people who surely are better than that. It doesn't qualify, or, or this doesn't apply to everyone. You know, what about Mother Teresa? Somebody like that. Well, if you read on in the Bible, you find the Apostle Paul, probably the person whom God used most in history to spread, spread the gospel. Here's what he has to say about himself. Even he lamented the state of his heart. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide to do, but not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. Something has gone wrong deep inside of me. And it gets the better of me every time. It seems that Jesus' words are as true for even a super saint, if you like, someone like Paul, as they are for each one of us. The problem is the corruption in our hearts. Well, this doesn't sound very promising here this morning. We're left wondering, is there, is there anything we can do? Is there anything that we can do to... To ensure that we'll be in heaven, to earn our place with God. No. According to Jesus, there's nothing, there's not a single thing that I can do to make God accept me. But a bit like Claire this morning, having to to talk to the boys and girls about the bad news about death and then the great news. The great news this morning is that that, again, isn't the end of the story because there is a right answer to the question, why should God let me into heaven? The right answer is God's grace. The right answer goes something like this, God, you should let me into heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done. Dying on the cross for my sin He was abandoned. Do you remember we we thought about this last week? He was abandoned so that I can be accepted. Do do you see the, the massive, massive difference here, folks? It's not about anything that we do or could do. It's not about the good things that we do that were accepted before God. It's about the great thing that Jesus Christ did. That's the grounds on which we can be accepted before God. We don't have to earn anything. I think that that is just fantastic news. Suddenly the pressure's off because it's not about me being good. It's not about this sin or that sin being the one that's going to exclude me from God's presence. It's about God's grace and His kindness that we just don't deserve, which God gives to us. Whenever we look at what happened on the cross, what we see is God reaching out to us, offering us something that we we don't deserve, that we haven't earned, that we can't pay for, and that we could never pay for. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, we read what happened on the cross. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, his perfect son, He made him to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know if you understood that. There's a a massive swap that goes on on the cross. Jesus takes our sin. Our sin he bears and the punishment for it. And in its place, he gives us his righteousness. The perfection that is in Jesus Christ is what we now those who accept Jesus, that's how God sees them. He sees them in the same way that he sees his perfect son. I think that's just incredible. What a swap. This this wonderful grace of God. I don't know if you've ever seen the musical Les Miserables or read the novel, Victor Hugo's novel, on which the musical is based. But at its core, it tells the message of grace. Jean Valjean is the central character in the the epic tale. And the story begins with him having been freed from prison. He's completed 19 years of hard labour just for stealing bread from a shop window. During that time, he's become a hardened and a bitter man, somebody of whom everyone is terrified. Whenever he's released from prison, anytime he is in public, he, when he meets a person, he must always show them his identification. And his identification card tells them that he is a, a prisoner on parole. It means that nobody will have anything to do with him. Nobody will give him the time of day. Nobody will give him a job. He can't find anywhere to live. Nobody will have anything to do with him until finally a kind bishop welcomes him into his home. He offers him food and a place to sleep. Valjean betrays the bishop's trust while the bishop and his family lie in bed at night. He robs them and flees the home with a good part of the family's silver. It's not long before he's caught. And it's not long before three policemen arrive back at the bishop's house with their captive, Valjean. The game is clearly up for him now. The bishop here has the opportunity to incriminate him for betraying his hospitality, for stealing from his house, The bishop here has the opportunity to send this guy down to make sure he is imprisoned for the rest of his life. And instead, the bishop does an incredible thing. He goes running down the driveway of his house towards the three policemen and towards their captive. So you're back. So here you are, he shouts to Valjean. Had you forgotten that I wanted you to take the candlesticks as well? And he's two silver candlesticks in his hand, which he gives to Valjean. He explains to the policeman, this this guy's not a thief. He's a friend of mine. And he's just leaving with gifts that I'd given to him. So the policeman dropped back. The bishop turns to Valjean, he says, keep these candlesticks, keep all the silver that you've stolen from me, and don't forget, don't ever forget that I have given you this wealth and you've promised me to use this money to make yourself into a good man. The stunning thing with this particular story is that Valjean responds to the bishop's act of grace and kindness. He does become a good man. If you know the story, you'll know that from there on in, he spends his life helping people, doing good. And it's because he's been transformed by the grace that's been shown to him by another. Friends, we are all like Jean Valjean. We are people who are guilty, who have no resources to pay, and who deserve to be punished for what we have done. Jesus Himself, the most loving person ever to walk on the earth, He says that we're guilty and that we deserve hell. But the wonderful news this morning is that God, in His grace, has given us a gift. He's given us the gift of His Son. And anyone who accepts that gift need not face the punishment, but can walk free. The passage that Brian read for us earlier this morning has probably the clearest uh, few verses about grace in the whole of the Bible. For it's by grace, says Paul, that you've been saved, not by your own works, it's by grace through faith, not of yourselves, but a gift from God. Look, Paul saying, you've been saved, but it's all a gift. Everything that Jesus did for you on the cross, it's a gift of God's grace. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing here you can boast about. There's nothing you can earn. It's been given to you, regardless how good or how bad you think your life may be. Friends, it brings us back again to that question with which I began this morning. Why should God let you into heaven? The right answer is, I should be allowed into heaven because I've put my trust in Jesus Christ and what He's done for me. That is the right answer. And it's the only right answer. I want to take a moment this morning to to talk about you know, what we've talked about there, it seems like it's something that would come into play when a person dies, the eternal life that God offers, the, the entering into heaven. But grace has a very important role in our lives now, those of us who, who have met with Jesus and who know Him. When we discover, and whenever this clicks with us, God's grace, we discover that we're more sinful than we ever realized, but we're more loved than we could ever have dreamed, more sinful than we ever realized, but more loved than we could ever have dreamed. Let me point out just three things very quickly that this unconditional grace and love of God means. It means there are no more masks to wear. God knows exactly who I am and He loves me anyway. I don't have to pretend anymore. Can you imagine how liberating that is? When you know that that you are loved and that nothing you can do or don't do will ever change that. Friends, whenever we, we grasp the grace of God and His love for us, we find that we're able to start setting aside the layers after layers after layers of masks and pretenses that that have defined our whole personalities. That's the first thing. There are no more masks to wear. There's nothing to prove, is the second thing. Best-selling author Philip Yancey wrote, "'There's nothing I can do to make God love me any more, and there's nothing I can do that will make Him love me any less.'" That's the kind of love that God has for each one of us here this morning. That will make a huge difference in your life if you can grasp that. Because deep down, each one of us fears that we aren't loved. We live in a culture of conditional love, a place where we're told that you're loved only if you're younger, fitter, more successful, smarter, wealthier. You know what I mean. Our whole advertising industry is built on this assumption. If only you had this thing, If only you had our product, people would love you. The women or the men, they'd come flocking. Do you know what? God loves you. He loves you whether you have a full head of hair or whether it's thinning like mine. He loves you whether that hair is the the color it was when you were younger, or whether it's changed. He loves you whether you have perfect straight and shiny teeth, or whether they're crooked like mine. God loves you whether or not you're smart, wealthy, successful, fit, beautiful. He just loves you. That's the grace of God. There is nothing to prove. Third thing about this unconditional love of God, when we grasp this, we realize there are no grudges to bear. Do you know why we bear grudges in life? It's because we feel hard done by. It's because we we feel insecure ourselves. But whenever we grasp this, this astonishing love, of God, we find that we're able to set grudges aside. If people harm us and wrong us, we're so entirely confident in the love of God that these things don't throw us anymore. They don't unsettle us. They don't stress us and rile us as they used to because we're loved. We're okay. God loves us. Everything's all right. Friends, I'm pretty much finished what I want to say about grace this morning. God's grace was shown when Jesus Christ died in in my place and in yours on the cross. God's grace means that one day I can be accepted in the presence of God. Do you remember we said this last week? The curtain is, is torn The barbed wire and the no-entry signs are gone. I am now welcome in God's presence. That's all God's grace. And God's grace means that I don't need to pretend anymore. I don't need to strive and struggle and prove myself anymore. And I can forgive people who have wronged me. I want to close for one moment by returning to Victor Hugo's novel, I've already mentioned to you the one chief character, Jean Valjean, the transformed character when he he meets the grace in, in the bishop. The other main character in Les Miserables is Javert. He's a detective. He spends two decades pursuing Valjean after his release from prison. To the same extent that Valjean has been, has been liberated and freed up by the grace shown to him. Javert is, is a shriveled, consumed by, by revenge and justice character. There is no grace in him. When in an amazing climax to the story, Valjean saves Javert's life. Remember, Javert has been pursuing him for 20 years. But towards the end of the story, Valjean actually saves his life. The man who's been pursued all that time saves the life of his pursuer. Whenever that happens, rather than accept this act of grace that has been shown to him, this act of grace that has saved his life, Javert can't cope. Rather than accept what Valjean has done for him, Javert throws himself off a bridge into the River Seine to his death. He cannot allow that his life is only his own because of grace. So much does he need to earn everything and to be a self-made man and to stand his own ground and to take charity from nobody that he would rather die then live under grace. Friends, ultimately, there are only two types of people in this world. Those who have accepted the grace of God in Jesus Christ and who will rely on Him to, to stand before God and those who don't. Those who say, I would rather go to my death than live a life under grace. Those two types of people live on this earth. Only one of those types of people will be in heaven. Those who have responded to the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your amazing gift to us in Jesus. We thank you that we need not face eternal death and judgment, but that we are welcomed in your presence, that we can one day stand before you in heaven and be declared innocent and righteous. Lord, all of that's possible, but we are so often proud, Lord, We want to do everything on our own. We want to be be people who stand on our own two feet, who, who are good enough in our own terms. Lord, will you break us? Will you break into our lives and show us our need for you? Overwhelm us with the grace that you have shown us in Jesus. And Lord, draw our response from us by your Spirit. Lord, may we be people who know you and love you and enjoy all the privileges of your friendship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.